0: In the very outset, at the first meeting with them, was found a universal clearness or hardness of belief, almost mathematical in its limitation and repellent in its unsympathetic form. Semites had no half-tones in their register of vision. They were a people of primary colors, or rather of black and white, who saw the world always in contour. They were a dogmatic people, despising doubt, our modern crown of thorns. They did not understand our metaphysical difficulties, our introspective questionings. They knew only truth and untruth, belief and unbelief, without our hesitating retinue of finer shades. The first great rush round the Mediterranean had shown the world the power of an excited Arab for a short spell of intense physical activity. But when the effort burned out, the lack of endurance and routine in the Semitic mind became as evident. The provinces they had overrun, they neglected, out of sheer distaste of system, and had to seek the help of their conquered subjects or of more vigorous foreigners to administer their ill-knit and inchoate empires. So early in the Middle Ages, the Turks found a footing in the Arab states, first as servants, then as helpers, and then as a parasite growth, which choked the life out of the old body politic. The Arabs lost their geographical sense and their racial and political and historical memories, but they clung the more tightly to their language, and erected it almost into a fatherland of its own. The first duty of every Moslem was to study the Koran, the sacred book of Islam, and incidentally the greatest Arab literary monument. The knowledge that this religion was his own, and that only he was perfectly qualified to understand and practice it, gave every Arab a standard by which to judge the banal achievements of the Turk. I had been many years going up and down the Semitic East before the war, learning the manners of the villagers and tribesmen and citizens of Syria and Mesopotamia. My poverty had constrained me to mix with the humbler classes, those seldom met by European travellers, and thus my experiences gave me an unusual angle of view, which enabled me to understand and think for the ignorant many, as well as for the more enlightened, whose rare opinions mattered not so much for the day, as for the morrow. In addition, I had seen something of the political forces working in the minds of the Middle East, and especially had noted everywhere sure signs of the decay of imperial Turkey. We could see that a new factor was needed in the East, some power or race which would outweigh the Turks in numbers, in output, and in mental activity. No encouragement was given us by history to think that these qualities could be supplied ready-made from Europe. The efforts of European powers to keep a footing in the Asiatic Levant had been uniformly disastrous, and we disliked no Western people enough to inveigle them into further attempts. Our successor and solution must be local, and fortunately the standard of efficiency required was local also. The competition would be with Turkey, and Turkey, was rotten. Some of us judged that there was latent power enough and to spare in the Arabic peoples, the greatest component of the old Turkish empire, a prolific Semitic agglomeration great in religious thought, reasonably industrious, mercantile, politic, yet solvent rather than dominant in character. They had served a term of five hundred years under the Turkish harrow, and had begun to dream of liberty. So when at last England fell out with Turkey, and war was let loose in the East and West at once, we who believed we held an indication of the future set out to bend England's efforts towards fostering the new Arabic world in hither Asia. We were not many, and nearly all of us rallied round Clayton, the chief of intelligence, civil and military in Egypt.